You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their hearts, with their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So Psalm 17 can be broken into four different sections. And and I have given a a word to describe um, basically the theme in each section. So we're going to go through innocence which is verses one through five. Love, which is verses six through eight. Enemies, which is verses nine through 12. And then deliverance, which is verses 13 through 15. I'll be going through each section and then expounding on those words and themes. So let's pray before we dig in. Father God, we just come before you right now. We thank you for the breath you give us for life. We thank you for your word that you provide for us. And we just ask that you would soften our hearts to receive from your word right now. And we just ask that in Jesus name. Amen. Innocence. In verses one through five, the word that sums up this section is innocence. And it's David's innocence before God. And we see when David exclaims right away, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. He doesn't just stop there. He he pleads his innocence throughout all these verses in this section. In verses one through five, he gives a a defense for why he should be heard by God 
because of his innocence. And after telling God to hear a just cause, he continues at the end of verse one. He says, hear my prayer from lips free of deceit. In verse two, he says, let your eyes behold the right. In verse three, he, he says, you have tried my heart. You have tested me. You have visited me and you will find nothing. In verse four, he says that he does not regard the works of man by the word of your lips, but he, that he has avoided the ways of the violent. In verse uh, five, he says, uh, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. And so we look at David here and it's easy to think like, why is David not being humble? Like, come on, David, why aren't you humbling yourself before the Lord? Why are you claiming all this innocence? Like what, what, what is going on here? And, and this is a similar situation to Psalm seven. And there are, are a couple observations that, that pa Pastor Jonathan made there that are relevant here in Psalm 17. And the first is that this appeal of David's innocence is particular and not universal and particular basically means that in this Psalm, there's a specific situation that David is claiming innocence over. David is not claiming innocence universally in his life. He's not claiming to be sin free. And so we see that. And, and another point that Pastor Jonathan made that applies really well here is that there is a difference between self-righteousness and personal integrity. So, uh, R. Kent Hughes, he, he, he says that there's a, a, a big difference between legalism and discipline. And, and he talks about the crucial difference is motivation. And this can be applied to these similar categories of self-righteousness and personal integrity. So self-righteousness is self-centered in its motivation. It, it tries to earn salvation by performance. It tries to find ultimate acceptability from God by how we live. But personal integrity is God-centered in its mo motivation. It trusts in the finished work of Christ and yet still wants to please God like a son would want to please his loving father. Self-righteousness tells lies about God, while personal integrity tells the truth about who God is. Self-righteousness tries to make a name for oneself to receive the glory, while personal integrity wants to make much of who God is so that he gets all the glory. And so a crucial aspect is this idea of self-reflection and examining yourself. So in 1 Corinthians 11 and 13, Paul talks about examining ourselves and testing ourselves. Jesus told his disciples that, that we are to judge ourselves based on the fruit of our lives, on ourselves and others. The idea of, of self-examination and, and self-reflection is crucial to the Christian life. But, but in all these passages, including Psalm 17, there's one thing that we can't miss. And that is that when we examine ourselves, we are to use God's standards found in his word. And that standard, God's truth will reveal the truth about ourselves. 
self-reflection by our standards will lead us astray. James talked about the, the testing of our, of our faith and, and warns us to not be unstable in our ways and, and be like the wave of the sea that is tossed and, and driven by the wind. And, and that's what our standards are without God. That's what our standards are without God's word. They're unstable. A pastor once said that, that trying to build a foundation on the shifting emotions of sinful humanity is like trying to play Jenga with a rambunctious toddler on a waterbed. It's probably not going to work out too well. So when we, look at, when we look at Psalm 17 and we ask, by what standard can David claim he is innocent? By what standard is, is David pursuing personal integrity? We see in verses 4 and, and 5 that David says, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths, not from the word of David, David's lips, not from the way of David's paths, but by the word of God's lips and by the way of God's paths. And that is why David can say in verse two that it is from God's presence that vindication will come. He knows that 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 only God can vindicate, vindicate him. David's confident in his innocence, but he is still trusting in God in the vindication that only God can bring, which leads us to the next section, love. Verses six through eight. And, and what we see here in this section is, is David asking God to show his love. Verse six, he says, I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. And God does answer. God has shown his, his faithfulness to his people by answering in the past. And he will continue to show his faithfulness by answering in the present and in the future. It might not always be what we expect. And, and this is important to, to just remember because it, it might not be in our timing, but God will answer. God will answer. David says in, in, in verse seven, he says, wondrously show your steadfast love, O savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And these words take us back to the Exodus where, where God did show his love in a wondrous way when he protected and saved his people from Pharaoh and their bondage in Egypt. And specifically the words wonders, right hand, and steadfast love can be seen, specifically in Exodus 15, 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13 in chapter 15 of Exodus says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And so what we see is, is God's love is an acting love. 
There's action. There's, there's a, a protection that, that is in his love. And it shows itself in ways so that we can see it and worship and praise God as Moses did there in Exodus 15. David continues in verse 8 by saying, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Being the apple of God's eyes is imagery that means that, that God sees. He is not distant and oblivious like so many people's concepts of, of God, but he is a God who sees and knows what's going on and his attention is on us and he cares for us. Being hidden in the shadow of his wings means that he gives us rest. He, he protects us. It's a, a place of safety. But realize that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so when we go through certain circumstances and, and situations, we might start believing that God doesn't really see us or worse, that he sees us, but doesn't really care for us. And, and just in those times, we just got to remember as an example, Israel's exodus how many times did it seem like there was a, a glimmer of hope? God, God does something, but then something unexpected happens and then things looked hopeless. And we can so easily be like the, the people of Israel that, that God does all these works. They are actually leaving Egypt and then we hit the Red Sea. And then we're like, God, why did you bring us here? We're kind of like the people telling Moses, like, did you lead us out to the wilderness so that we would die? And the Pharaoh was coming out with his armies, just getting closer and closer. But the thing is, God provided a way and wondrously showed his love. And he did part the sea. And Israel would not have an initially would not have initially chosen that journey with all those specific details and circumstances. But the thing is, God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. Even when it seems like God's protection wasn't on Israel, when he didn't have them as the apple of his eye or the shadow of his wings, he did. God always has a greater purpose for what he is bringing about in our circumstances than what we can see. His ways are higher than our ways. Corey Ten Boom once said that, that God never has problems, only plans. And so God wondrously shows his love toward us, even when we're in the midst of enemies, which is our next section in verses 9 through 12, enemies. We see here David's enemies. And so in verses 9 through 12, it gives us some details, but we don't know exactly who David's enemies are. But the main point in this psalm isn't who they are, but what they're like. He, he uncovered a little bit in the first five verses when he's, he kind of does a little bit of a comparison and, and we find out a little bit about them. But here in verses 9 through 12, we see why David is praying and the danger that he's in. 
And, and we see that there's a threat of violence. David looks like he, he's in this, in this just grave danger. He is somehow surrounded by his enemies. So they're at, there's just this level of urgency and, and desperation that David is feeling while he is praying. In verse 10, he says of his enemies, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. In verse 11, you see that, that it's just, it's like slow motion. Like it's just getting closer. They're getting closer and closer. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. And then in verse 12, David describes his enemy saying, he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. And for us, we see a similar description for the enemy of our souls. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. In Ephesians 5, we see that, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so we have an enemy that doesn't want us to live our God-given purpose. We have an enemy that hates us and doesn't, want, and doesn't want us to seek after God. And a lot of times, he uses circumstances or even people to get us off track. And it's important to know that, that during these times that, that, that spiritual attacks usually come in situations and interactions with those that are closest to us. If you're having conflict with your spouse or difficulty with a friend or a family member or coworker, you have to remember they are not the enemy. You have a, a very real enemy that is trying to pitch you against others. And this applies to all sorts of relationships. Our enemy tries to deceive and destroy relationships through seeds of bitterness and mistrust. And the ultimate relationship he tries to destroy is our relationship with God. Another place where we see a similar description that, that David mentions here in verse 12 is in Genesis 4-7 with how God personifies sin. He, he describes it saying, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so we see that sin is described as this evil within us that we must overcome or else it will overcome us and devour us. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 tries to encourage his reader, his readers by describing this battle. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so we struggle, we resist, we fight. But like David from his physical enemies, our deliverance from sin and from evil spiritual forces is not ultimately on us which leads us to the last section of Psalm 17, deliverance. Verses 13 through 15 show deliverance. God's deliverance and how David is vindicated. We see David exclaiming to God right away when the enemy is about to, to attack, to pounce on David. David says, arise, O Lord. Lord. 
Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord. And we see that David needs deliverance. He, he is crying out to the Lord, knowing that, that he is the only one that can deliver him. David is in this, in this trying time of need, knowing that God is more powerful than anything that, that he is up against. With God, he can be victorious. David is not putting his trust on anything, on anything else, but laying himself on the mercies of God. He needs God to fight for him. And, and this type of prayer is a, a desperate one. This is when, when, when you just need God to act. When you're at the end of yourself or, or at the end of, of a situation or, or circumstance and, and you need God to act or else you're not going to make it. And what we see is David pleading for help. He's pleading for help. This type of prayer with David mentioning God's sword and God's hand this is an image of, of divine judgment. But what we see is that these men have had a certain amount of prosperity. Psalm uh, 1714, it says, From men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They're satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. So these people, he goes from, from this direct like God needs to, to, to inter, uh, intercede in this situation. But then he goes to like what these people are like and, and how they're satisfied in their lives and how they have everything going well, it seems like. And as Jesus said in Matthew 5, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. And so these enemies have been prospering by God's hand. They are satisfied in who they are and, and what they have. And yet they are ungrateful for God's blessings. Like Romans 1, they did not honor him as God or, or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened. Paul, speaking of this type of person in, in Romans 16, 18 says, Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. In Philippians 3.19, Paul says of this type of person that, that their God is their belly. They have their minds set on earthly things and their end is destruction. Things that should have been a blessing are turned into a source of condemnation and judgment. David's enemies have received their portion in this life. But in the spirit of Psalm 73, God is David's portion and not in just in this life, but forever. And so David in verse 15, after telling of the abundance that his enemies had, David tells the Lord, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David sees his enemies and their satisfaction in, in what they have and, and in who they are. But David tells the Lord, as for me, as for me, I shall behold your face 
in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David, in the beginning of the psalm, in verse 2, asks for God's vindication. And this vindication comes from God's presence. For David's enemies, God's presence brought vengeance. But for David, God's presence brought vindication. And so David knew that there would be a day that he would behold the face of God, that he would be satisfied in his presence. Jesus once said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The face of Jesus Christ is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. In Psalm 17, David was innocent, but Jesus was perfectly innocent to the core through his entire being with no sin ever in his entire life. In Psalm 17, David asked for God to wondrously show his steadfast love. But in Jesus, God ultimately showed his wondrous love by going to the cross and taking it upon himself to be the great savior for humanity. In Psalm 17, David had enemies. But because of our sin and our rebellion, we were actually enemies of God. And yet Jesus took our sin and took our consequences for being God's enemies so that we would be reconciled to God. In Psalm 17, David experienced the deliverance of God. But Jesus on the cross refused to deliver himself so that we might be delivered and yet he did deliver himself. After eternal justice was satisfied through his sacrifice, he took up his life again, showing that he had power even over death so that we would have a great hope in life and in death that even in difficult times, we can say, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Pray with me. Father God, we just come before you knowing that Jesus was the only perfectly innocent one. We look to him. He was the one who gave his life for us, who died the death we deserved, and yet he rose again. And because he rose again, he has victory over death. 
and he is sitting at the right hand of you, Father. And you've given us your spirit. You've given us your spirit so that we can live lives of personal integrity. We can have a, a good conscience and, and examine ourselves in light of your word and yet not feel condemnation because you, Jesus, received our condemnation. We thank you, God. Help us and give us wisdom as we live our lives during this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.